What's up, y'all, and welcome back to the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. Today, we're going to touch them all with the return of Monday Mailbag, week three of NFL football, some big upsets in college football, the NBA Finals, and the first round of the Major League Baseball playoffs. Episode 18 coming at you right now. What's up, everybody, and thank you for tuning in. I'm Landon Pangburn, along with my brother and co-host, Preston Pangburn. We have another huge weekend in sports to talk about today. We're recording this on Monday instead of our normal Sunday, one, because we were getting back from vacation, and two, because it allowed for the NBA Finals to get set and for the first-round matchups in the Major League Baseball playoffs to get set. So we've got a lot of big things that just happened and a lot of big things coming up in sports. P, how you doing? I'm great. We had a good weekend up in Highlands, North Carolina, celebrating Pops' birthday. Happy 60th dad. And a busy weekend in the sports world. Like you said, the NBA playoffs or the uh, NBA finals are now set between the Heat and Lakers. We wrapped up the Major League Baseball season. So it kind of had me thinking now that over the course of the next week, we're going to have playoffs going on for the NBA, Major League Baseball and the NHL. I mean, that's probably something that's never going to happen again in our lifetime. So it's pretty cool. Cherish it. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And also I realized that road trips go by a lot faster when you're watching the NFL Red Zone channel the entire time. It was like, I was watching all the games and by the time I was, you know, kind of out of it, we were done. Yeah, you had Red Zone up. I was checking all five of my fantasy teams, which is pretty overwhelming every Sunday. But yeah, road trips go by very fast when you have that going on. First bit of news is that you and I both survived the guillotine league another week. Neither one of us were either, or even in threat of elimination. So we're crushing it. Crushing it. I mean, I overpaid for Chris Carson in that league a couple weeks ago and he went down with that knee injury he's going to be out a couple weeks so just got to tread water that's what you got to do well let's start off with our monday tradition and that's a monday mailbag let's do it so the first question came from josh duskin on instagram josh asked you get the opportunity to fight one championship winning athlete for one million dollars who would you choose and why first of all i love that question this is a sports related question but not necessarily about sports if you know what i mean and i love those the more we can get into that the more i like it so thank you josh for this question i want to go through my thought process a little bit first because i think that's part of the fun so the first thing that i thought about was just thinking through the champions and the major sports last year thought about the raptors first and immediately it was like I have no chance against anybody in the NBA. They're all too big. They're all too athletic. Like, I'm done there. That's a weird first thought process. Yeah, I'm, I'm not taking you over anybody on the Raptors. No, no offense. No, closest was Fred Van Vliet, but he would destroy me. So moving on from there is I thought about the defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. It's a football team, so there's only two guys worth considering, the kicker and the punter. And I knew that the kicker was Harrison Butker, 
who I know is a Georgia Tech guy, so the only thing he knows how to punch is the buttons of a calculator. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> I might be able to think about him. But then I looked him up, and he's listed at 6'4", 205, and plus his last name is Butker, and he's a kicker, so he's probably had to stand up for himself a few times in his life. Probably, yeah. He's a sneaky big dude. He would probably do well against you in a fight. Yeah, so then my hopes were kind of down. So then I turned to the defending World Series champions, the Washington Nationals, thinking that nothing was really going to pop up, and then I saw it. One guy on the roster who I think is my guy, Adam Eaton. Okay. I I don't know how big he is. So he's listed at 5'9", 176. And pretty injury prone? That's exactly my point. So 5'9", 176. So actually one guy in my weight class. Plus at 5'9", I'm pretty tall and I have very long arms. So I would have a distinct reach advantage against that guy. And he has a history of being very fragile. In his nine Major League Baseball seasons, he's only crossed over the 100 game mark four out of nine times. So between length advantage, equal weight class, and he's older than me, and he's fragile, I think Adam Eaton is my guy. I thought about some tennis players or like NASCAR drivers or whatever, but I didn't want to go that low. I'm not going to go with like an old retired guy. (laughs) So I decided that Adam Eaton is my guy. And if I was an odds maker in Vegas, I would put Adam Eaton at minus 750. Okay, minus 750. Those are pretty steep odds in Adam Eaton's favor, <laughs> yes. considering you are taller and he is in your weight class. But I kind of like the pick. And you um, you went in a much more logical, politically correct direction on this <laughs> than I did. My my thought process went to, oh, man, there's no chance I can beat anyone. Like you said, the Raptors or the Nationals in a fight. <laughs> yeah. So I went towards like, hmm, who are the uh, most popular female athletes that oh, come to gosh. mind? <laughs> and I was like, well, Serena Williams would absolutely whoop my candy ass. So. <laughs> yeah, she- not going there. Um, so then I thought of Simone Biles, the U.S. gymnast, who's won multiple championships on U.S. national teams. She's four foot eight, one hundred four pounds. But anyway, I was like, you know what? This is very not PC. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to choose a woman to fight. Um, so I went in the same direction with you on a baseball player okay. on a recent championship winning team going with Jose Altuve. Oh, wow. Okay. Champion for the Houston Astros, the team that notoriously cheated in 2017. So he's 5'7", got pretty short arms. He's kind of, you know, a pretty stumpy dude. Mm-hmm. So I might have a little bit of a, you know, I would have a height and a reach advantage on him, I think. We're probably, you know, he's probably got a little bit of weight on me, but just I tried not to let him hit me with the ground and pound you know yeah. try to stay on my feet but i just not only is he a pretty small guy but he he's just very fightable after cheating like a lot of people dislike him so i think i would get a lot of energy from the crowd that would be in my corner there you go and then i think that his confidence is just at an all-time low it is he's had an atrocious year he has no self-confidence right now he had so many people calling him out before the season like you're not going to be able to hit without cheating and he hasn't been able to like mm-hmm. it's kind of he really trickled hasn't. down through their whole lineup but particularly him he's been terrible this year so i'm going with five seven low confidence cheater jose altuve okay and i I do not even give him a shot at being 5'7". He's he's definitely shorter than that. Yeah, when you see that picture, the famous one of him at second base with Aaron Judge, Aaron Judge, I mean, he's 6'8", but I mean, he's at least a foot and a half taller than Altuve. Tiny. Okay, if you were an odds maker, what are your odds against Jose Altuve? Oh, man. I would say I'm probably plus like 1,200. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like I, I would choose him, but I'm not going to win. It's, it's steep odds. It, yeah, it depends on like if we're talking street fight, boxing, MMA, but across the board, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably getting taken out. Split decision, you think, in favor of Altuve? No, you're getting your lights knocked out. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Well, for the record, I would never, ever fight a woman. It was just, you know, it was a good question from Josh. I had to at least consider it, but not going to go there. All right, Lando, what's the next question? Well, before we move on, 
one real quick. I would fight Karen Durant. <laughs> yes. Okay. That, okay. That's a good one. Okay. Fair enough. And then our next question is from Kip Thompson. He asks, if you're a chick and you get a DM invite to the bubble, you going? Oh, of course. I, I mean, I appreciate the question from Kip, but why would anyone ever say no to this? I mean, if you get offered free admission to the most unique NBA finals in the history of the NBA, why would you not go? I mean, it's an NBA finals during the pandemic where nobody has access. So it's very exclusive. You've got LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, Alex Caruso, Duncan Robinson, current and future legends of the game. And you have an opportunity to go see them up close and personal. And then during the day, you can go to Disney all day before the games. I mean, it sounds like an incredible experience. So of course I'm going. You can't go to the Disney parks. Yeah, you can. No, you cannot. What? <laughs> That's a separate thing. So my, my answer to this question was contingent on, am I a chick who maintains my current likes and interests, or do I then become like a chick with typical girl interests? Oh, you're getting too into the rules here. I know, but if it's me, I'm 100% going for all the reasons you just said. That sounds like the time of my life, and then on off days, you go golfing and fishing and whatever the heck else you want to do. Like That sounds amazing. But if you're a girl who doesn't know anybody and you don't like those things, you might be very bored. If you're not like a big NBA fan and you don't want to go golfing and fishing and you have no friends around and you can't really do a whole lot, I don't know. But if it's me, I'm saying yes, 100%. Okay, so you're saying the whole golfing and fishing thing because that's what they're doing inside the bubble and that's permittable, but you're saying you're not allowed to go to Disney? No, you can't go to Disney. It's separate from where you're staying. <laughs> they're not riding rides on their off days. But but if you're someone like a family member or a guest inside the bubble, you can't just go full hazmat suit to Disney for a day? Absolutely and come... not. Well, you can, and then you got to come back in quarantine for four days. Uh, well, that is a disaster, but my answer is still yes. <laughs> okay. Unequivocally, of course, I'm going down to the bubble. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Let's go. Let's move on to the next question. All right, next one from Bo Childers on Instagram. He said, dog's quarterback situation. Will Stetson Bennett start versus Auburn? When will JT Daniels be cleared? Lando, what you think? Well, this is a funny, funny time question because it actually happened since the question was asked that JT Daniels got cleared to return today. The weird thing is they're still not going to name him the starting quarterback. As of right now, Stetson Bennett's still the starter. I'm not sure what's going to happen this Saturday. If I had to bet, weirdly enough, I would guess that Stetson Bennett is probably going to start just because he led him back in the second half last week against Arkansas, and he's been around for longer, knows the offense better in a in an offseason where there was not a lot of offseason, and so there might not be a whole lot of familiarity with the playbook and his teammates for JT Daniels. So I don't really know. I really hope JT Daniels is in there because if it's Stetson Bennett, I think the dogs might be in trouble. What do you think? I'm kind of with you on that, and I'm hoping, you know, Kirby Smart came out today and said that JT Daniels will be cleared for the game, and along with that, he said that just like everybody else, uh, JT Daniels will have to compete for the starting quarterback position, and you never know if that's just coach speak, he's being politically correct, he doesn't want to, you know, denounce Stetson Bennett as the starter after how well he played last week and kind of came back and won the game for him, so I don't know, I just... After the whole Jake Fromm, Justin Fields saga with Kirby Smart, I hope he learned the lesson that you got to go with the higher ceiling quarterback if you really want to win. And why not just get JT Daniels in there from day one? But I think the question that remains to be seen is just because he's cleared to play, is he ready for, you know, game SEC action against the team, a top 10 team like Auburn? Who knows? Yeah. And it's kind of scary if he does play because he hasn't played a real football game in a long time. So he's not necessarily going to be up to game speed. I think the timing here is just really funny. 
There's not really any timetable whatsoever or any rush seemingly to get JT Daniels cleared. And then we see what our other quarterback situation is and the following Monday cleared. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like you wonder how much of that is a coincidence. I I don't know. Maybe they're paying off the medical staff. Like, please clear this guy. Did you see Dwan Mathis out there? Oh, gosh. It was ugly. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, more on that later when we talk about college football. But Lando, you want to read the last mailbag question? Yeah. The last question is from Sam Blackman, and he asks... How good is the NFC East? <laughs> so <laughs> the answer is not good. The answer to the question is it's not. I mean, the NFC is NFC East is bad to quite bad. Like I am dead serious when I say this. I think the Dallas Cowboys are going to win the NFC East at six and ten. They very they very well could. If you go through it, I was watching part of the Washington football team game on Sunday, and there were probably I think three different instances where Dwayne Haskins threw a pass, and I was like, that's the worst pass I've ever seen, and then 10 minutes later, he'd make an even worse pass. He is atrocious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Giants, the Giants lost what was it, 36-7? to seven? Uh, was That was game? the Jets. Okay, that was the Jets, yeah. The Giants got killed by the Niners, though, and the Niners don't have any of their good players. Like, the Giants were at home against a team that has been decimated by injuries and still got smoked. Yeah, they had, I mean, the Niners were starting Nick Mullins at quarterback. They're missing George Kittle, Nick Bosa. Like, those are their three most important players. And then they had Raheem Mostert out, too. So just a completely decimated Niners team walked into New York and thumped the Giants. I mean, a Jason Garrett offense but with a worse quarterback Saquon out a bad offensive line and average receivers like that is just a movie yeah and then you have the Eagles Carson Wentz looks terrible they are also destroyed by injuries and their offensive line was already bad enough I didn't even see the outcome of it but I saw Jason Peters was down and got taken out of the game yesterday do you know the result of that I don't I mean he was already what their kind of backup plan yeah well I guess he's not gonna get his raise yeah yeah so really bad look in the NFC East I think six and ten, seven and nine could win it. Eight and eight would absolutely win it. I just don't. These teams are bad. The Cowboys' offense is nasty, but their defense is atrocious. Their defense is hot, hot garbage. I think that they are maybe worse in the league in terms of points allowed and yards so far. They gave up 38 to the Seahawks this week, 40, I think, or no, 39 to the Falcons mm-hmm. last week. Defense is just terrible. So again, once we get to the NFL, a little bit more on that later. But Sam, thank you for the question. And to answer it again, the NFC East is not good. It is bad. Well, why don't we go ahead and move on to just regular NFL talk. I think the first place we should start is the best game of the week so far, which is the Bills versus the Rams. What did you see there? I saw your boy, Josh Allen, who you think that I'm a hater of. I'm not a hater. I'm just not as sold as you are. Oh, he's a beast, dude. (laughs) He got him out to, what, a 28-3 lead. Mm -hmm. The Rams came storming back and I think took the lead. And then Josh Allen led him on a game-winning drive. He ended up with five total tutties. Yeah, so they had a 28-3 lead and then the Rams scored 29 unanswered points. That last drive, did you actually see it? I did not. So it was crazy. They overcame a third and 22 and a third and 25 in route to winning that that game on the the last drive. So that was a pretty crazy game. A lot of fun. Josh Allen has been a complete monster so far. Seemingly has taken a leap. We have to wait and see if there's a bigger sample size. He keeps on this, uh, keeps up this really good completion percentage, but he's looking really, really good so far. He is looking like an absolute stud. So keep an eye on Josh Allen. I mean, some people took him as a sleeper MVP pick before the season and he's performing so far. He's right up there with Russell Wilson and and some of the big guys. Yeah, I was going to bring him up next. Mr. Unlimited Russell Wilson, I think along with Josh Allen are the 
the two top performers in the NFL so far. Russell Wilson now has 14 touchdowns through three games. He is throwing at 76% completion percentage. He just looks incredible. That DK Metcalf play, though, yesterday, we have to bring that up. That's probably going to be the bonehead play of the year, even though we're only in week three. You can't get a whole lot worse than that. You can't get much worse than that. And it always makes me thank the fantasy owners of DK Metcalf Metcalf that ended up losing their fantasy matchups by five points because he dropped the touchdown on the half yard line. Hate to see it. Sorry, guys. Yeah, that's super brutal. One thing that stood out to me this week was that a few teams, the Giants we already spoke about, but a few teams, including them, are already distinguishing themselves as the worst teams in the NFL. There's a serious battle for that going on. Like the Jacksonville Jaguars, after accidentally winning in week one, are just completely tanking now. They are they are trying to remember what the purpose of their season was in the first place, and they're blowing it. Giants are terrible, and then the Jets. My goodness, what is that? That, that should not even be considered a professional football team. They are absolutely terrible. Again, I'm going to keep patting myself on the back for calling them as dumpster fire of the year. I put a maximum bet on under seven wins for the Jets. There is just no way in hell they would ever win seven games this year. Was the over-under before the season really seven? It was seven, and then after they traded Jamal Adams, it dropped to six and a half. But it's like, yeah, it's like, I guess Vegas thinks they're playing like a 30 game season. Like, why would they ever win seven games? Oh my gosh. They might be the worst team in NFL history. Do you think they're worse than like the Lions were a few years ago? That was bad. All I, mean, I remember, who, who are they going to beat? I don't know. They are. This is one thing that I always like to bring up. They are still full of 53 professional football players. So they have a chance to win, but they're not good. They're very bad. I mean, now that uh, Le'Veon Bell is out, their starting running backs, Frank Gore, their backup running back, who I think they just signed, Kalen Balazs, was their second leading receiver yesterday. Their top receivers are Braxton Berrios and Chris Hogan. Like, what is that? They, they have absolutely set up Sam Darnold to fail more than maybe any player in NFL history. Yikes. Right now, in three games, they are minus 57 in point differential. That is tough to do. Yeah, they're just getting absolutely smoked. And I mean, I think that I said Adam Gase would get fired in the first six weeks of the season. And rumors have started to fly now because they play in the Thursday night game against the Broncos that the optimal time to fire him will be this week. <laughs> because after yeah. after they lose to the Broncos on Thursday night, I mean, they have the long week to kind of get the interim head coach in there. And that's the one thing that could give them a spark. You know how that happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. The team fires their coach, the interim guy comes in, they rally around him and win a game or two. So that's the only thing I fear for my under bet but man they are bad who goes first adam gase or dan quinn so i was actually gonna bring that up because i love to look at the first coach fired prop bet before Mm -hmm. every season last year i took matt patricia which obviously ended up being pretty bad since he still has his job even though i think they lost like their last 11 games or something hey don't hate on the lions (laughs) the lions are back now they beat the cardinals who were 2-0 kenny galladay returned who they very much needed the lions are back but continue your point (laughs) so adam gase i mean i i really do think that now that the rumors are out there you know the team I think he's just clearly lost them Sam Darnold in his post-game press conference after the 36 to 7 loss to the Colts looked like the saddest man in America and I think that he's just completely lost that locker room if they go out there on Thursday night at Denver and lose to a team who's starting who Blake Bortles, Blake Bortles at quarterback Denver yeah oh, they're starting Jeff Driscoll Jeff Driscoll yeah Paxton Lynch 
<laughs> all of the above? Not great. They don't have Cortland Sutton either. They're, and Von Miller's out for the year. They're, they're beat up too. I mean, if they lose that game, I think Gase is gone this week. Um, and then, I mean, I get the whole Dan Quinn thing after a couple big blown leads and he probably should have been fired at the end of last year. But I don't know. I think that Arthur Blank has just showed his loyalty there. I think that he's going to at least give him, I don't know, half a season. I think the Falcons will start turning it around a little bit. I mean, they're coming off of two of the most improbable losses, I think, like ever. Yeah, they had a 99.9% win probability against the Cowboys and a 996 against the Bears at one point in the game. Yeah, and I, I saw a stat that no team had ever blown two or had never blown two 15-point fourth-quarter leads in the same season. They did it two weeks in a row. Yeah, that's really hard to do. In the process process of looking up the point differential for the Jets through three weeks, I did notice that all four teams in the NFC West all have pretty positive point differentials. The Seahawks are plus 25, Cardinals plus 16, Rams plus 18, and Niners plus 41. We talked about how bad the NFC East is. How good is the NFC West? Like that is a nasty division. It is a nasty division. And it's kind of evidenced by our conversation before the season, especially surrounding the Rams. I mean, this was a team that went to the Super Bowl in 2018 and we're saying they're not going to make the playoffs, not because they're not good, but just because the division is so hard with the Niners and Seahawks up there. And then the Cardinals are good too, particularly on offense with Kyler Murray, but it's just such a tough schedule. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I hadn't really thought about it before. And it would be so hard to do mathematically just because you have to play every other team in your division twice. But with three wild cards, theoretically, all four teams in a division can make the playoffs. Yeah, they could, which is actually kind of cool. I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it happened with the NFC West, especially with a couple other divisions in, in the NFC being pretty bad. Yeah, for real. All right. Well, let's move on now. All right. So next game I want to talk about real quick is the night game last night. The Packers went into New Orleans and won a 37 to 30 shootout. And for all of the hate that they got surrounding their offseason, especially in the draft, the Packers are one of the most impressive teams in the NFL so far. I mean, I think that everyone, if you ask them for their power rankings, the consensus would be that the top two are the teams playing tonight in the game of the century, which are the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens. But how do you not put Green Bay number three right now? Yeah, they've looked really good. This is kind of the resurgence of Aaron Rodgers. This is the best he's looked in five years. They were talking about a pretty cool stat last night during the during the broadcast about how they're just making sure play call wise that Aaron Rodgers is getting the ball out of his hands a lot faster. And not only that, like while decreasing his release time, they're also throwing the ball further down the field. They're just kind of airing it out like they used to. And it's been really effective so far. Winning that game without Devontae Adams is super impressive. Very impressive. And with Devontae out, I mean, they really needed someone to step up in that in place of him and uh, the cheese lizard Alan Lazard stepped <laughs> yeah. up I think he had like 150 yards in a tutty so I mean with Devontae coming back they're they're a well-oiled machine yeah and you got to mention Aaron Jones he's had a great start to the season he's just a really really good player if you got him in fantasy keep on riding that guy because he's been a beast he has been a beast and then before we move on to the game of the century I just wanted to mention one more thing about the Seahawks Cowboys game earlier that I forgot to mention when we were discussing it so Russ threw for five touchdowns in a shootout with Dak. Dak threw for 472 yards. And through three games, Dak Prescott is on pace to throw for 6,336 passing yards this year. The NFL record Peyton Manning set in 2013 with 5477. You think Dak has a shot? I absolutely think Dak has a shot for multiple reasons. One, because Dak's pretty good. Two, because they have a lot of guys to throw to. And three, because the defense is so bad, they're going to have to air it out all game. They're going to be required to score like at least 35 points in every game in order to win. So he's just going to be chucking it 
like he really has a chance. I mean, if you look at the game flow of these last couple games against the Falcons and the Seahawks, mm-hmm. they yeah, they get down early and they have to throw the whole game. And Dak Prescott, people may not know, but he threw for 4,900 yards last year. Like mm-hmm. they've, they've started, the offense used to be kind of predicated on the run game with Ezekiel Elliott. Now they're kind of letting Dak air it out. And I mean, all he needs to do is add, what, 560 yards to that yeah. total from last year. And he's close to the record. Yeah. So Didn't it, Dak lead the NFL in passing yards last year? He was second behind Jameis. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and Jameis was airing it out too. So exactly. And then Dak, not to mention, also plays inside of a dome, which later on in the year will be huge for weather purposes. So yeah, I think he's got a great shot. Yeah. I mean, with like we said, the hot garbage defense. Let's let's keep an eye on Dak throwing for six thousand yards. How funny would it be if he threw for six thousand yards and they finished six and ten? He might. I mean <laughs> I th- know. their defense is actually that bad. It, it was already horrible to start the season after they let their top cornerback Byron Jones walk. And then I think their top two corners, Anthony Brown and whoever else got Should hurt. Be Bouzier? Yeah. Ouzier is out. So yeah, their their top corner right now is Trayvon Diggs, the second round rookie out of Alabama. I mean, he got torched a couple times by DK Metcalf yeah. and Tyler Lockett this past week. So yeah, yeah Gerald the, McCoy got knocked out for the year. Leighton Van Der Esch is hurt right now. There's They were already bad and then they have some pretty pretty bad injuries. So it's it's ugly out there. Yeah. And then, all right. So let's, let's talk about the game of the century. Monday night football, Chiefs at Ravens. What are you looking for tonight? I'm looking for a team to get some stops. I think it was going to come down to they're both really good, just insane offenses weapon wise. I want to see something I've been talking about before. I want to see Lamar Jackson spread the ball around, get the ball to some guys other than his running backs and tight ends. I want to see a receiver, most likely Hollywood Brown step up, see what the Ravens can do on the outside throwing the ball. I'm with you, and I'm taking the Ravens tonight. They're minus three and a half. I, I don't know about the spread, but I just think they're going to win the game. I think they come out you know, at home, more motivated than the Chiefs are. Chiefs are the defending champions. The Ravens are the ones with the question marks surrounding them, right? And it, it's particularly with Lamar. Once he gets to the playoffs, is playing against playoff defenses and teams that he needs to keep up with in terms of the scoreboard, I mean, he's just going to have to prove that he can throw the ball down the field, outside the numbers, and do more than you know just run the ball. So I think that Lamar comes out hot tonight, like you said, finds his receivers hollywood brown mark andrews and i think the ravens get the win it's so hard not to like both of those teams normally when two teams are really good you dislike one of them for some reason i love both of them i love lamar jackson i love pat mahomes i love all their supporting cast players like this is just gonna be a fun game to watch i'm not really rooting for anybody i'm just i want to see a good game yeah and the over is 55 and a half so i think i'm just rooting for points in this one just because it's going to be a lot of fun and i i want to see a shootout between two mvp candidates with mahomes and lamar and remember i just want to give you one more reminder the 16 and 0 talks are happening tuesday Tuesday morning i'm going to text you around 10 a.m. when I'm on ESPN and I see somebody talking about will the Ravens or will the Chiefs go 16-0. All right, looking forward to it. You want to move on to some college football now? Yeah, let's talk some college football. Big opening weekend in the SEC. I want to start with our hometown Georgia Bulldogs against the Arkansas Razorbacks. What did you see in this game? Well, I saw the worst offensive football in, the, in my entire life in the first half. That's for sure. It was hard to watch. You and I were both like, this is this is really difficult to actually keep my eyes on right now because it was that ugly. Dewan Mathis did not look good. The offensive <laughs> line did not look good. I wasn't sure who we were going to throw the ball to for a while. Luckily, our defense is awesome. This is so deep. There are so many guys in and out all the time. You have to pay a lot of attention to see who's in the game because they sub so much because they're so deep. Defense looked great. Kept him in. Stetson Bennett came in in the second half. Let him back. The MVP of the game is Jake Camarda, though. 
Jake Amardo was pinning him deep every time. There's some unreal punts in there, including that one time. I think he pinned him at the five, and then it got called back, and he did it again, did it again. at the six. Yeah. That was sick. Yeah, and he pinned him at the one one time. I think like his first five punts were inside the eight-yard line. Yeah. So, yeah, Camardo could come up huge this week against Auburn. But, yeah, despite all of the struggles, Stetson Bennett came in, threw for 211 yards and two tutties. He played a pretty clean game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard the Count on defense led them with two picks. So, I don't know. They they ended up winning by 27, but it didn't really feel like that. So big game this weekend against Auburn. Yeah, we're going to have to rely on the defense to keep them in the game this year. They had three interceptions. They had a block punt. They scored a touchdown on Eric Stokes' pick six. So it's going to be all about the defense. Not really sure how the Auburn game is going to look this weekend. But shout out to my boy Scott who's moving up his wedding an hour so that afterwards we can watch the George Auburn game. Love that. Love that. True Shout fan. out, Scott. Yeah, because he planned the wedding before the game exactly. or the schedule got rejiggered or whatever. So yeah, that that's exactly good, good move on Scott yep. part. Shout out, Scott. All right, let's talk about a couple huge upsets from the weekend. Number three, Oklahoma lost to unranked Kansas State, which I don't know why, but does it feel like that happens kind of every year? It kind of does. I don't know why. I feel like Oklahoma is dominant except for one hilarious game every year, and this is that game. Yeah, I think it's just two years in a row now that it was Kansas State, which is why I'm thinking that. But you're right. Like they go 11 and one every year, and then win the uh, Big Ten or Big 12 championship at 11 and one, go to the playoff, and get beat by a hundred thousand. That's pretty much exactly what happens. They had a Falcons type game too. They were up a lot very late in this game and then completely blew it. Kansas State's kicker hit a bomb of a field goal with a couple minutes left to win the game. So, yeah, pretty brutal for Oklahoma, but they very well could still be in the playoff. And they certainly might. And then the other big upset, the defending champions, number six LSU Tigers lost to unranked Mississippi State in the first game of the Mike Leach era. The Mike Leach air raid offense with KJ Costello, the Stanford transfer quarterback, he threw for 623 yards, which is an SEC record. What'd you think of this game? Well, I thought it was awesome, first of all. I think that just as in every stop he's made so far, the Mike Leach air raid offense is going to give people problems at times. That is tough to stop. And he's shown in the past he doesn't even need that creative recruits to do it. It's just such an outrageous system that people have a hard time stopping it. So I want to give credit to them. But I also want to say this is kind of unfair to call it a huge upset. Yes, I know they're the defending national champions, but they're a completely different team. They lost Number six. Yeah, those <laughs> rankings are such a joke. Like, they have Miles Brennan. <laughs> just because they won the national championship with a different group of guys does not make them number six the following year. That's just one of those stupid things that because of reputation and name brand value, they put them up there. But I mean, it's just, it's not as big of an upset as it sounds like LSU doesn't have that many guys this year. That's fair. And yeah, it'll be fun to kind of watch how Mike Leach evolves at Mississippi State. Like you said, it's just that area rate offense you just never know what you're going to get and it's going to give people problems like as a Georgia fan when you face an unorthodox offense like Georgia Tech the last however many years with Paul Johnson at head coach running the triple option there's something about when you're facing the option that's like a level of comfortability just because they're just running the ball every play Mm -hmm. and like they're not going to have that many big plays it's the complete opposite with the air raid like you might just be able to tee off on the quarterback and get a bunch of sacks you'll have more you know interception opportunities a chance to get turnovers but like it's so hostile like it's such a tense mm-hmm. game facing an air raid offense and then when he comes out and throws for 600 yards and five tutties that's <laughs> that's pretty brutal for the lsud i'm really curious to see how mike leach is able to recruit at mississippi state he's not going to get a lot of recruits at texas tech and washington state just because of those places but the idea of playing in the sec west against the best of the best 
And if you're a quarterback or receiver and you get to throw the ball that much or catch the ball that much, isn't that pretty intriguing? Like I would strongly consider going there if I'm a big, big time offensive recruit. Like we'll see how it goes the next few years. I'm not saying he's going to overtake Bama, Auburn, LSU, all them, but they could be really competitive. I think they're going to be a fun team to watch. Yeah, they could. And like you said, I mean, in terms of recruiting, he's he had a recruiting base at Texas Tech with, you know, Texas, but at Mississippi State, he's got the appeal of the SEC. So yeah, that could help him out a little bit. So keep an eye on Mike Leach and the Mississippi State Dogs. Let's go. Let's move on now to NBA basketball. As of last night, the NBA Finals are now set. The Lakers finished the Nuggets in five. The Heat beat the Celtics in six. Anything stick out to you in those two series? Yeah, I mean, I saw two teams, the Heat and the Lakers, both just absolutely blow through their conferences. I mean, they both dominated throughout the playoffs, each with a 12-3 and record in the playoffs so far entering the finals. I mean, no one really gave them a test. The Lakers lost one game in each series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, but Nick Wright has dubbed a 4-1 win as a gentleman sweep. Okay, I like that. So the Lakers gentlemen swept their way through the Western Conference, which is incredibly impressive given, you know, who they had to play, even though they were able to avoid the Clippers, who fired Doc Rivers today, by the way. They did. They need, they needed to do something, and so that's what they did. <laughs> Got to have a scapegoat. It wasn't going to be Pandemic P or Corona Kawhi. So uh, see you, Doc Rivers. We'll see who comes in there. But anyway, Lakers and Heat, both absolutely dominant so far. What are you seeing? Well, in that last closeout game for the Lakers, the thing I saw was an incredible performance by LeBron. He finished with 38, 16, and 10, and then had that crazy run down the stretch where on four consecutive possessions, he made four consecutive jump shots. Three of them were twos. The last one was a three. So had nine quick consecutive points to put the Nuggets away. That was pretty sick. And then the Heat are just so much fun because on the Lakers, for example, every night you know that LeBron and AD are going to be the two best players, and you're looking to see who their third best player is going to be. For the Heat, you're trying to figure out who their best player is going to be on any given night. Sometimes it's Jimmy Butler. Sometimes it's Bam Adebayo. Sometimes it's Tyler Hero. Most of the time, it's Duncan Robinson. I mean, you just <laughs> you didn't even laugh at that. <laughs> I'm taking him seriously, dude. I, I called him a future legend of the game earlier, so Fair of enough. course I'm taking Duncan seriously. Fair enough. But in all seriousness, they just have different guys step up every night, and that's the most fun part about the Heat. I am just so jacked up for this series. It's going to be incredible, and like you said, you never know who's going to be their best player in any given game, and that just speaks to their depth. They're a much deeper team than the Lakers are, so that could provide some advantage for them. And in terms of the second units and then the Lakers are just they're a little bit top heavy like you said they're you're just looking for who's going to be their third best player LeBron has had some incredible games throughout the playoffs Anthony Davis you can't say enough about him he is averaging 29 points a game on 57 percent shooting so far in the playoffs through 15 games I mean the guy's been incredible so I just I, I think Bam Adebayo is uh, as good a bet as anybody to kind of lock him down a little bit or at least limit him but I don't know man this is this is going to be a really good series yeah Anthony Davis is a nightmare matchup for anybody one thing to keep an eye on that's really really impressive for the Heat is that they won that series against the Celtics fairly handily despite not shooting the ball that well during the regular season they were the second best three-point shooting team in the NBA at 38 percent and in that series they shot 32 percent and still won pretty easily so they can get a lot better than that which is pretty scary what do you think about the odds Did you see them when they came out I think I saw the heat or plus what like 450 it's changed a lot it opened up at I think Lakers were like minus 450 and Heat were plus 330 
or something like that. And then it's changed because a lot of bets came in on the Heat. So it's gotten a lot lower odds for the Lakers. I did see that a lot of the early money came in on the Heat, which I find interesting because I told you a few days ago about the 538 article that said the Heat had a 64% chance of winning the finals. I'm not exactly sure how they arrived at that conclusion, but I do think they match up pretty well with the Lakers. Like we said, with Bam on AD and Jimmy Butler guarding LeBron. I mean, he's not going to limit LeBron too much, but He's got as good a shot as anybody. Yeah, for sure. I think if I were picking a champion between these two teams straight up, I'd pick the Lakers. But with the odds included, I would definitely go with the Heat. Those are those are really good odds. I think they have a much better chance than plus 330 or 400 or whatever it is in that range. I'm with you there. I could definitely see the series going six or seven. And then since it's Heat versus Lakers, we at least have to talk about some storylines. I mean, LeBron now with the Lakers going up against his former team where he won two titles with Pat Riley and Coach Spolstra and D. Wade, Chris Bosh. Udonis Haslam. Udonis Haslam, who is still there. Still getting paid. Yes, he's the Frank Gore of basketball. But anyway, I mean, it's a pretty cool storyline. And I think that when LeBron, after winning two titles, spending four years in Miami, left to go back home to Cleveland, everyone kind of got caught up in the LeBron return to Cleveland. No one really focused on the LeBron departure from Miami. But that was a bigger story than people really remember. Mm -hmm. I mean, he kind of beefed with Pat Riley for a little bit. Um, He said that a lot of people told him that it was the biggest mistake he was ever making leaving that franchise. Pat Riley referred to, um, he didn't mention him by name, but he referred to smiling faces with hidden agendas, Mm -hmm. talking about LeBron very clearly. Uh, He said that the dynasty got ripped away from him. And when he brought LeBron there, he wanted it to be a 10-year dynasty. Like it wasn't the most amicable split of all time. And I think that Pat Riley and LeBron didn't speak for a few years after that until LeBron apparently received a text from Pat Riley after the 2016 finals. But anyway, there's there's some underlying storylines here. Yeah, for sure. And what a rebuilding job by Pat Riley and Eric Spolster in the Heat. To lose all three of those guys, they won the finals not that long ago with LeBron, D-Wade, and Chris Bosh. To no longer have any of the three of them and yet be back in the finals is just an incredible job. I think that a lot of people talk about like Nick Nurse and Brad Stevens as young, incredible coaches that could be around forever. Eric Spolster deserves a ton of credit. That guy has worked his way up from the bottom video coordinator back in the day, just slowly rising through the ranks to become a head coach. You've got to love that story. He deserves a lot of credit for how good this team is. It is pretty cool. And a lot of people I feel like probably forgot about that story. I didn't really remember it until you reminded me of it last week, but Spolstra started as the video coordinator. And over time, Pat Riley recognized him and was like, wow, this guy knows the game. I think he could be a head coach someday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. That's pretty insane. And he kind of went from, you know, of course he won a couple titles, but remember he got a little bit bullied by that team. I think LeBron walking off the floor, a timeout one time, just kind of shouldered him. You remember that clip Mm -hmm. of Spolstra turning around like, what the hell was that dude? But anyway, going from getting bullied, losing LeBron to leading a team with Jimmy Butler and Bam back to the finals. I mean, pretty cool for Spolstra. It is. And there's a few guys on the Heat that deserve a lot of credit as far as just rising stars. Bam Adebayo, he was a backup last year. He was not really much as a rookie. And then this year is an absolute stud, all-star. And even though he was an all-star this year, he's still significantly better right now in this past series, especially than he was during the regular season. Like that guy is a stud. He is a stud. And then his Kentucky teammate, Tyler Hero. I mean, he's coming on strong too. He had a pretty good rookie year, but has really stepped it up in the playoffs. Had that 37-point game, which was huge for them. Ended up kind of putting them in position up 3-1 to win the series. I mean, they're just, they're deep. They've got a lot of talent. I did see that Tyler Hero for the Heat 
and Taylor Horton Tucker for the Lakers are going to be the first two players in NBA history to play in the finals who were born in the 2000s. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Good old THT, Taylor Horton Tucker. Where's he from? I think Iowa State. Yeah, something like that. While we're on colleges and we just mentioned Bam and Hero, who is the all Kentucky team in in the NBA right now that's in terms of really hard in terms of graduates in the last like five years? I mean. In the last five years, they've had some guys blow up, right? Devin, Devin Booker, loaded. Devin Booker, Jamal, Jamal Murray, Murray, Tyler Hero, Anthony Davis. He's not in the last five years, but he's young. He's only twenty-seven. Yeah. So the all Kentucky team, Bam I mean, Adebayo, they're like, they're putting some pretty serious guys in there. Goodness gracious, there are so many good Kentucky players in the last. Let's go ten years. Yeah. So anyway, keep an eye on the Kentucky players and everybody else in the NBA finals. It's going to be a really good one. I see it going six or seven games. Not sure which way I'm leaning yet, but we'll see. But anyway, you want to move on to Major League Baseball playoff talk? Let's do it. All right. So the MLB playoffs kick off tomorrow, Tuesday at two o'clock PM. So if anyone is bored at work and wants to watch some MLB playoffs, it starts with the Astros and the Twins at two o'clock. Lando, what you got? Well, it's something we've talked about before, but my expectations for the first round of Major League Baseball playoffs this year are complete chaos. I think it's going to be crazy. These first round games or first round series, I should say, are three game series, meaning you only have to win two out of three games. Do you know how many Major League Baseball teams won two thirds of their games this season? Was that 40 wins? I mean, maybe one? It was two. So the Dodgers won 71% of their games and the Rays were the second team. They won exactly two thirds. They were 66.7% of their games. Last season in a full 162 game season, do you know how many teams won two thirds of their games? All of them? Zero. (laughs) Zero teams last year won two thirds of their games. And that's including when you're playing bottom feeding teams who you can easily beat. Like it is hard to win two thirds of your baseball games. And so I think that just anything could happen. I say that over and over, but anything could happen in this first round. I'm expecting multiple lower seeds to upset higher seeds in this first round. Yeah. I mean, I think with three game series, there are going to be some monster upsets and I'm so nervous for the one seeds after winning 40 plus games. You got the Tampa Bay Rays and the AL and the Los Angeles Dodgers. They won 43 games. They went 43 and 17 and now they have to play a three game series in the first round. I mean, I am, do you ever get like extremely nervous on behalf of someone else and it kind of makes you cringe a little bit yes secondhand nervousness yeah i feel that for clayton kershaw i mean if he comes out and gets shelled and they lose game one there's going to be so much panic going on that they have to win those next two games and i just i know that he has struggled and his legacy is that he's one of the best pitches of all time but hasn't gotten it done in the playoffs and i don't know i'm just nervous for him yeah i'm not necessarily a dodgers fan i'm not really a dodgers fan at all but I've got to root for Clayton Kershaw in that first game because he needs it so badly. He does. And then what? how do you feel about the other one seed? I know the Rays are your guys. The Rays are my guys. I think aside from the Braves, the Rays are the number one team that I'm going to be rooting for. One, because I've endorsed them as a team that I thought was going to be good before the season. But secondly, they have the 28th highest payroll in Major League Baseball this year which I always just think is amazing how smart their front office is. They do it on such a low budget. I think it'd be so cool if they could knock off the Dodgers or the Yankees who are paying their players five times as much as the Rays are. So I'm going for the Rays. But like I said, it's hard to be confident that any team is going to win in a crapshoot like this. 
Yeah, it is. And then you, you mentioned the Braves, so I just want to touch on them real quick. And I, I think it's funny because on our last episode, we talked about the five teams that were still contending for wildcard spots in the NL and which one you would least like to play. Of course, the one that we both said we would least like to play is the Cincinnati Reds, who are now matched up at the 2-7 matchup with the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Trevor Bauer is going to be, it's either going to be him or you Darvish for the NL Cy Young. He had a fantastic year. Luis Castillo, if you haven't watched him pitch, I feel like he's still not that big of a name for casual baseball fans. If you haven't seen him pitch yet, that guy has some nasty stuff. He's throwing upper 90s. Everything that he throws moves a lot. You just really don't want to face those two guys, especially when you're putting out, who are going to put out? Max Freed and who's going to be our second pitcher? Ian Anderson? I don't know. Tom Glavin? John Smoltz? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Anyway, anyways, not going to be someone who we feel confident about going against Luis Castillo. No, but Max Fried, I mean, he was up there for the Cy Young, you know, contention as well, and he's going to start game one. So I feel like game one is probably a must win for the Braves, but they can certainly get it done. The lineup just needs to show up, need to bring the bats. They sure can. And then a couple other teams I'm looking out for. I want to see teams that haven't won in a long time, especially the young, fun teams advance. I'm looking out for the White Sox and the Padres specifically, just because those are two of my favorite teams to watch. So hopefully they advance. White Sox, really cool young lineup. Padres, same thing. Slam Diego with Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado, who we hated on early in the season, but had an incredible year. So we'll see if he can put it together. And I think his first playoff appearance, but a lot of fun series going on. So MLB playoffs starting Tuesday at two o'clock PM. Looking forward to it. Is that all we got? I think that's all we got. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for listening. As always, don't forget to follow and subscribe to our uh, podcast on Spotify and Apple. Also, please leave us some ratings and reviews if you can so we can get this podcast out to more people. Thank you once again. And as always for listening, love y'all. Talk to you soon.